Hi, and welcome to the Calm Birth Conversation podcast. This is Karen McClay, and I will be having lots of wonderful conversations with experts and parents around pregnancy, birth, and parenting, with the aim to help you to make informed choices and decisions around your own journey into parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Calm Birth, Australia's leading childbirth education program. everyone and thank you for joining us once again on the Calm Birth Conversation podcast. I feel very privileged today to be speaking to a wonderful woman, Dr. Pamela Douglas, who is a GP up in Brisbane and lactation consultant and she's a breastfeeding um, medicine specialist and also specialises in um, caring and preparing families to go into to that space of being family. Um, and she's also developed an amazing program and organisation called Possums, which provides support for um, women's and, women and families um, around their newborns for the f- and up to the first 12 months of life. So welcome, Pamela. How are you? Hi Karen, thanks very much for your welcome. I'm I'm really well. It's very warm up here in Brisbane today. And oh, that's... it's just lovely to be here to have a chat. Oh, that's great. Would you like to just introduce yourself maybe a little bit more and, and tell us how you got into this space of, of becoming a lactation consultant and really becoming passionate about preparing families and supporting them in that first 12 months of development as, as a family? Sure. Well, I've been a GP since, um, well, I stepped out into the community in 1987. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and by 1994, I'd had my two children. We're seeing a lot of um, parents with babies which tends to happen to GPs once they're having their own babies, you know. And, um, and I was starting to realise how for all the strengths of our health system here in Australia, and, you know, we're so privileged in so many respects in the health sector here. But back then, and unfortunately, in many respects, it's still the same, even though we do so well protecting um, women and their babies from um, injury and disease and, and um, um, we keep them safe in that respect. Um, actually, that whole area of breastfeeding and infant behaviour and the support of synchrony, if you like, um, between a mother and her bubby or parents and their, their baby, it's just not something we mm. do well. And uh, in fact, um, I could see that there was a lot of inappropriate medicalization happening when um, baby behavior and breastfeeding problems were starting to emerge for families. Yeah, so once families were starting to be faced with challenges, there was a lot of inappropriate treatment that was happening. So in 1994, I qualified um, as an international Um, board certified lactation consultant and also around that time began to develop a real research interest in um, some of these inappropriate diagnoses that were being applied so much to babies because I wanted to be able to show that there were other ways of helping parents enjoy um, their infant through the first year or so of life um, without 
necessarily resorting, I mean, there's a place for it, isn't there, but without unnecessary use of medications or surgery um, for um, babies. So that was actually what got me started, a real passion for the support of breastfeeding, but also identifying um, that we had and still have a problem around um, using medical interventions too much for infant behaviour problems, which means we're missing what's actually going on. We just actually want to make life as easy and as enjoyable as it can be um, for parents with babies. And that's been my life work really since then, looking at the evidence, um, putting together programs um, that we call neuroprotective developmental care. Mm -hmm which are popularly known as the POSTS programs, but in the research, um, increasingly known as neuroprotective developmental care across those domains of breastfeeding or feeds, because we're very non-judgmental around how mm -hmm. parents are feeding their baby, but also wanting to offer absolutely cutting edge breastfeeding support. Um, so the domains of feeds, what's happening with sleep, that whole domain of sleep, where um, I've developed up the Possum's Baby and Toddler Sleep Program. Um, what do we do with those little ones who are so unsettled, who are crying and fussing? And then, of course, that whole um, vital domain of um, parent emotional well-being, um, maternal um, emotional well-being and mental health. So that's the programs, the Possum's Programs, um, technically known as Neuroprotective Developmental Care or NDC. You'll here now that we've got um, growing numbers of NDC providers um, here in Australia and also overseas. Um, but people just know us as Possums and Possums programs. So that's the long answer. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a great answer. And the work that you're doing is just so important because all of what you were talking about all very much goes hand in hand together, doesn't it? You know, sleep and settling issues do very much affect maternal mental health and, and the way that they're dealing with it and not just maternal but also paternal and, and partner exactly. issues as well and then their relationships so it just has a, a really big knock-on effect um, and that's one of the big reasons that I wanted to speak to you today also was to really get a grasp of, of creating some realistic expectations for parents around sleep and settling in those early weeks and months um, when they first become parents because there's, there's so much information out there and from my point of view so much misinformation around um, babies and and what we should be expecting in terms of their behavior and in terms of their sleep and also I guess from a parental point of view and and a new parents point of view one of the big things that I hear a lot about with with pregnant um, couples that are, are moving into their realm, their biggest concern is how we're going to deal with the lack of sleep and, you know, how am I going to get my baby to sleep? So again, there's, there's that real cultural belief system there too, that, you know, this is going to be a hard time and your baby should be sleeping. And if there's, if it's not sleeping, there's something wrong. Um, so I guess from, from your point of view, Maybe you could um, go into initially, what are the normal things that we could expect from our babies early on in those first couple of weeks? What are the normal cycles of sleep and settling that women could experience and work with? And I, I guess I, you, we have to be careful with that word normal. Would you agree with me there? Because every baby uh, is just so individual, but I guess it's kind of like normalizing what 
what is normal in that space? Yes, well, um, the neonatal paediatrician, Dr. Danny um, Friedman, said to me quite recently in a podcast we did, um, this wonderful phrase, normal is a very diverse condition. <laughs> and actually, that podcast may be of interest to your parents um, looking at, at breastfeeding in the first week after the birth of a bubby. Um, but let's, let's, um, let's think sleep. Um, and yet, I have to say right up front that particularly in the first months of life, those domains of sleep, what's happening with feeds, what's happening with um, a baby's sensory needs, and we can talk about that in a bit, yeah. um, are really interrelated. So if we've got um, breastfeeding problems in the first days after our um, little one enters into this world, then that's going to um, really play into what's happening at night times mm -hmm. for that um, mum and, and uh, her support person. Because the first couple of weeks in particular um, are a time of really sorting out, getting that breastfeeding relationship happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's true that um, sometimes things that happen through the birth can just make it that little bit harder to get things on track. Um, and parents will just say they get so much conflicting advice and at the moment, you know, we'd love to change this, you and I, wouldn't we? But at the moment, um, parents can expect that they'll get lots of conflicting advice. So it's just coming back to what feels right for you, you know, experimenting and working out what feels right for you. Um, so with, with any breastfeeding challenges that emerge in those first, first days, it can impact a lot on what's happening at night and also of course that little one um, immediately after the birth it still has a circadian clock that's not yet learnt to be aligned with, with real time with our experience of night and day so those first couple of weeks we want to get really good breastfeeding support and I guess that's where I'd say we've got some fabulous resources with Agastolt breastfeeding available online, plus the NDC providers. Um, but getting that breastfeeding support and knowing that sleep can be a bit of a challenge in those first couple of weeks and babies may be sleeping during the day and, and waking at night, which is when we want to have you know, them on and off the breast and snuggled up with heaps and heaps and heaps of skin to skin. Um, so being ready to sleep during the day if the bubby's sleeping, as, as we sort of move through those first absolutely exquisite and never to be repeated first days, a couple mm -hmm. of weeks, but which can also be full of challenge for families. So, so there is that. Um, let's get the breastfeeding working because that will then um, help with sleep um, but given let's let's say we've we've sorted out underlying breastfeeding issues and breastfeeding's going wonderfully well and the woman's offering frequently and flexibly you know more than 12 times in a 24-hour period each breast absolutely normal just 
whenever you think it might dial that little sweetheart down, um, if it's feeling like it's it's a serious burden, then we've got clinical problems and you need need good help. But let's say we've got the breastfeeding sorted. Well, the truth is our little ones are going to wake at night. Mm. It's 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 absolutely normal for babies throughout the first 12 months of life. And indeed, if you look at the, the latest big cohort study, for instance, that came out of Finland, our little people are waking well into the toddler years. Um, I used to say by 12 months, maybe 50% of our babies will sleep for eight hours without disturbing the parents. The other 50% will still be waiting. If you look at this newer data, it's probably more. Um, what we want though is for everyone to go back to sleep really quickly because there's also work for instance with those women who are able to to breastfeed as as, as we'd be hoping to support you know um, breastfeeding women are getting more sleep overall mm. than than those parents who, who who are needing to use formula in the night so really even if our little one is waking every couple of hours which would be so developmentally normal through that first year of life we just want everyone back to sleep quickly with a breastfeed so this is where we need to think about the big disruptors that occur in our society. Mm -hmm. um, so first, first thing to say is that we don't need to burp our babies. And this sounds heretical to say because, um, you know, you'll hear lots of advice that babies swallow air, especially if you've had any breastfeeding problems. People will tell you that the little one is swallowing too much air and that might be why the baby's fussing at the breast. Um, and so parents are told to, you know, regularly burp the baby, burp the baby after a feed, even hold the baby upright for a period of time after the feed. And that so lacks an evidence base. It's so disruptive, actually, and particularly disruptive in the nights. We can just forget about burping. It's really not something we need to do. And, you know, parents might hear that we shouldn't be letting little ones go to sleep with a feed, whether it's the breast or the bottle, because it's, it's said to set up bad habits. Well, that belongs to, if you like, the sleep training philosophy, but it actually has no basis in, in evidence and can be really disruptive because from a biological point of view, with that feed, the little one dials right down, the sympathetic nervous system's dialing down, the parasympathetic nervous system's dialing up, the rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system is dialing up, and all the cholecystokinin switching on, satiety in the brain, satiety switches are on in the brain. And so drowsing at the end of a feed, particularly when they're little, as they get bigger, they might have a quick feed and then they want the next sensory adventure. But with our little ones, we want to just let them drop off with the feed if that's what's going to happen and not, not feel we've got to be burping or holding upright or indeed wrapping. Everyone will tell you once you've had a bubby that wrapping makes babies more settled makes them sleep better at night but that's actually not 
particularly borne out by the research and it can be really disruptive because you've got a little one who's just gone to sleep the end of a feed and then you're trying to put that wrap on and you don't want to have a little one wrapped with breastfeeding because that's a sure recipe for positional instability with mm. that breastfeed so the little one does need to be unwrapped if you're using a swaddle or a wrap for feeds so basically parents will make their own decisions around all of this but I you know in our programs, in the NDC or Possums programs, we're not especially promoting wrapping or swaddling because it can be more disruptive than of benefit. Um, so, yeah, so we just want to get everyone back to sleep quickly at night. Um, and then even if the little ones sort of at the upper norm, end of normal and waking every couple of hours, that becomes manageable as long as everyone's back to sleep quickly. We want to look out for excessive night waking. Um, now, after we've got through the first week or two when the little one is just getting used to being in the world, but, but moving forward, if, if we have a little one who's waking for big blocks of time in the night, or often what you'll hear parents describe is groaning and grunting and sort of writhing behaviours there in the co-sleeper or the cot for, or, or the bed if, if the parents are safely sharing the, the bed surface. Um, they'll say there's all this groaning and, and grunting and I can't sleep even though the baby seems to be sort of asleep. And then parents think, well, there must be gut problems. Mm. You know, my baby must have gut problems that we're not getting any sleep. So that's a useful thing to talk about too because actually usually what's happening is that the puppy's just dialing up. So again, talking about this dial on the sympathetic nervous system, that little sweetheart is just rousing out of sleep and of course, you know, they'll start to do all that stretching, gradual dialing up behavior and and as they surface into wakefulness, babies are quite normally going to start to dial up into grizzles and then into cries because they're wanting to know where their um, loving parents' arms are. You know, where's where's the breast? Where's where's um, my my um, mother or father's? loving body you know that's that's sort of biologically normal but sometimes we get into this situation where they're groaning and grunting and you feel as though you can't get any sleep for a big part of the night um must be the gut it's not the gut usually so what happens is that as that little one dials up the sympathetic nervous system well the gut is like a second brain and it's highly innovated and as the sympathetic nervous system activates the gut will activate and so then a parent might hear um, some flatulence being passed or a burp or a little puke happens and they think oh see the baby was waking because there was gut problems but actually it's just that the baby was rousing and dialing up and then the gut got active and and if we've got this sort of period of you know long periods of of sort of um, rousing dialing up behavior in the night we've really got a circadian clock 
that's not yet properly aligned with the parents. The little one's sleep pressure isn't that high, the circadian clock hasn't yet matured to be well aligned with the parents. And so what we need to do is work on the circadian clock, work on those sleep patterns to get sleep as aligned with the parent sleep needs with, with real you know, time, day and night. And, and there's lots that we can do to, to really encourage that. And the big thing is to have days that are focused on lovely, rich sensory nourishment for that baby. So um, this is something that's really not well understood in our society. And I could talk more about that too, Karen, but I'll just check in. I'm having a bit of a rave here. So is this useful? Is this the kind ah, of... This is, no, it's wonderful. It's exactly what, what I was hoping that you would speak about because again, there is this, the first, one of the first questions that parents get when, when they've got newborns and, and a visitor comes over is, is your baby sleeping through the night yet? And to be able to sort of be able to turn around and say, well, no, because it's not normal for my baby to be sleeping through the night is, I think, a really powerful thing for them to understand um, and to be communicating. And understanding the premise behind that, I think, is, is really, really important. Um, and I'd really love you to go on and talk about the sensory inputs as well because that yeah. does go hand in hand with it with does sleep, Karen. doesn't it? it does it really does um and is often not well understood um, um see there's the normal night waking of a baby that's tough you know mm -hmm. like it's tough but it's kind of manageable you're meeting your little one's needs. You're there for that little sweetheart in the night. Little one's learning that that my mother's body, or my, you know, my my loving parent is there in the night. Um, so there's the normal night waking, but we do see a lot of excessive night waking in our society, mm -hmm. and this this comes about, um, I would argue, because there's a very dominant. Um, approach to sleep in our world at the moment that first came in the 1950s and 1960s out of the new behavioral psychology mm -hmm. um, with Skinner and Pavlov and so on. In fact, this philosophy around baby sleep that's still so dominant today can really be technically called a first wave behaviorism because it really directly comes out of the 1950s, 1960s behaviorism work. And the idea is that to make life as easy as possible for parents, we need to entrain that baby's biology to sleep through the night. Mm. Um, now, actually, if we look at the research, and there's been so many studies done into this now, um, I published with a co-author one systematic review which synthesises all the studies back some time ago, but there's um, three others as well um, that, that look at all the studies that have been done on these first wave behavioural or sleep training approaches. And they really show that the sleep training approaches are not particularly decreasing frequency of night waking and they're not decreasing parental anxiety or making life easier for families in the way that 
that we're kind of told they will. Mm. And it comes out of this good place, this belief that we want to make life as easy as possible for families. But they actually can end up, these sleep training approaches can really end up making life a lot harder than it needs to be, can make life full of really unnecessarily hard work, particularly mm. for the primary carer, who's, who's often a woman, though not always, um, because what can happen is that the big emphasis on sleep breeds sleep, which is a real misconception. Yeah. But the idea, parents are told, sleep breeds sleep. You've got to get these big blocks of sleep during the day. Don't let the baby be awake for more than such and such a period of time and then get the baby down. Teach the baby to self-settle during the day. All of that, you know, get the baby down really early at night, 6 p.m., 7 p.m., try to keep the baby in, in bed for 12 hours overnight. Um, all of that sleep training philosophy can actually, over time, really disrupt the circadian clock. Mm -hmm. Because you can see, if we've got a low sleep need baby, then we're growing these huge blocks of sleep during the day. That little one, over time, it won't happen immediately, but over a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, may start waking incredibly frequently at night, sometimes every half hour, every 45 minutes, every hour. We have disrupted the sleep patterns and that baby's sleep regulator's alignment um, with, with the parent's circadian clock. You can hear I'm talking about two sleep regulators, the circadian clock and the sleep-wake homeostat. And that the sleep-wake homeostat is this system of neurohormones or chemicals that rises when we're awake, all of us, and then drop off um, really quickly, actually, just a little nap and they drop right down. And so when those sleep hormones are really high, we feel sleepy. And that happens for me at, say, 10 o'clock at night. But for our bubbies, it's happening much more quickly. But we don't actually have to worry about it because if we're meeting that little one's need for milk, frequent flexible offers, and if we're meeting that little one's sensory needs, which keeps them dialed down and engaged and happy, sleep really looks after itself. And during the day, the focus is on Sensory, sensory, sensory. So before we talk sensory, and I know I'm taking a long time to get to sensory here, but before I talk sensory, I'd just like to say that um, baby sleep needs are incredibly variable. And this is really important mm -hmm. um, for parents expecting a baby to know. Because even though you'll be given estimates very often around how long your baby should be sleeping, in the possums baby and toddler sleep program, we never give estimates mm -hmm. because it would be outrightly misleading to parents. Because you could have a newborn, for instance, who hardly needs nine hours in a 24-hour period, who might only snatch half an hour total during the day, so 10 minutes here, five minutes there, and is an absolutely normal baby, just biologically low sleep needs. Um, and you could have a newborn who needs 18 hours total in 24 hours. And throughout the first year of life, baby sleep needs shrink but remain incredibly variable. And so we just want to not even worry about our baby's sleep, but think about milk. Is it milk? Frequent flexible offers. And then, of course, solids come in at, at around about the six-month mark. And we want to think sensory needs. 
And this is so important because our babies are laying down neural templates in their brain in direct response, right from birth actually, in direct response to rich and changing input across all their senses. And, uh, and yet the, the, the first wave behavioural sleep approaches will tell you, don't let the baby get overtired or overstimulated. We would argue that's a really outdated approach to our baby's sensory needs, that all the neuroscience points to how important, rich and change, a wonderful bath of sensory nourishment is for healthy development, for optimal development of our little ones. And inside our homes, very low sensory environments for babies. So from very early on, babies start to dial up just because there's not enough going on from a sensory point of view. And, and yet parents told to put on the sleep lens and think, oh, the baby's overtired or overstimulated. I've got to get that baby to sleep. And then the sleep battles start. Locked inside the house, the baby's dialing up because there's so little going on from a sensory point of view and life gets really miserable and stressful very quickly. And then two or three weeks later, we've got even worse um, waking at night. So actually being ready as, as, as you move out of those, those first few weeks when you just need to be so tender with yourself as the woman who's just given birth, hopefully lots of support wrapped around you. But planning as a primary carer for a life that's going to be focused around how can I enjoy these days out of the house with my baby in tow? Or if you've got older kids, you know, meeting those kids' needs out and about doing this, you know, soccer after school, music classes, school drop-offs, with the baby just fitting in. The baby will love it. So good for the baby's developing brain. And as long as you're thinking two tools, is it milk, is it sensory nourishment that this little one needs when he or she dials up, then in fact this very relaxed approach during the day, making sure you're having days that you enjoy that are highly social and full of, you know, it's a good time of life to be doing lots of walking because the baby loves it and it's good for us and our mood. Getting really creative about your parents' groups and your social life. Often, you know, as primary carers, women are facing going back to work sooner than they know it. And we just want these days um, as a primary carer with your bubby to be as enjoyable as they can possibly be. And that's, you know, we know a lot of Australian women recommence work part time. So we want those days when you're home with that bubby to be just as enjoyable and as relaxed as they can be. And we want the carers who are, who are stepping in to also have this really relaxed approach to sleep, just forgetting about sleep, but thinking um, sensory, sensory, sensory. What can we do to really enjoy this day outside the four walls of the house? I'm thinking, Karen, I've been using up most of my half hour there and I'm wondering I, if it's... I, I, we can keep talking. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I'm sitting here thinking, so what, what are the cues that parents are looking for to know that their baby's being dialed up and to sort of be thinking that, you know, is it needing a feed or is it needing actually sensory? Because normally with dialing up, we see that um, as a, an overtired stressed baby, really, don't we tend to? It's, it's, it's certainly um, the advice that families get, but actually if we if we put aside that concept, don't even use yeah, that concept. That's right. And we, yeah. we don't tell parents what, 
what their baby's communications or cues mean because the your the parent is the expert on the baby right. and yeah and we just experiment like no one really knows as parents but we just start to experiment now as clinicians our job is to get in there and pick up a lot of these underlying problems that are just not being picked up in our society. And that's what our NDC work is all about as we educate health professionals so that we are able to identify what's going on. If you've got a baby who's really fussy at the breast, for instance, what's happening there is positional instability, a real issue, is there a condition dialing up? These are things I won't try to talk about now, Karen. But um, mm. if we've got the excessive night waking, um, parents can certainly go and look at the possums baby and toddler sleep program, but they might want to see an NDC provider to have a chat about the strategies they can put in place. Um, we've got a lot of free materials too on, on the possumsonline.com website now and in our YouTube channel. So, you know, um, we wouldn't be saying what baby's cues mean. Yeah, But we would say there's a lot of communication confusion that results from parents being told, oh, your bubby's overtired and overstimulated mm. or, oh, the bubby's fussing at the breast, it must be reflux or allergy or air swallowing. Or, Whereas we would say, gosh, um, there's, there's very different ways of thinking about all of this um, and there's approaches that we can use to make everything so much easier. Um, than it than it often is, um, so yeah. So so experimenting with your response to your bubby, thinking two tools is a really good way to think about how we respond to the baby's communications. But if there are problems that are emerging with a lot of fussiness with breastfeeding, let's say. Um, or excessive night waking, then it may be bringing in some good help or starting by having a look at possumsonline.com to tell you the truth and seeing what we've got there that's just freely available. Um, also, it's probably worth saying, Karen, that um, we've got the PIPS program mm -hmm. yeah. um, that people can access on our website. And that's, that's peer support for parents. Um, that has, if it, I think it's $30 or something like that. And, and, and as a charity, we just try to keep all the costs really low. We set up as a charity because back in 2011, when I first started developing, I'd started to develop these programs with sleep and, and across the other domains too, in, you know, well in, in the 2000s. In 2011, um, I first started to deliver this in, in, in a possums clinic and to educate other health professionals. And at the same time, first, first publication around sleep came out in 2014. We were already um, using that as a program and had manualized it and so on. So um, we've been doing this for a long time and we set up as a charity so that no individual really benefited financially in this space, but that we could put any revenue we raise back into developing up the education and research um, because there's so much work that needs to happen. We really need a paradigm shift in the way we care for parents mm -hmm. with their babies after, after the birth. And, and so that's the, the sort of movement really that we envisage with our NDC or possums programs. And, um, 
Um, and so we try to keep the costs as low as we can. PIPS is this wonderful resource where parents can go in, they can get the support of other parents, but there's also health professionals who come in and give little talks regularly. We've got this whole library of resources in there for PIPS mm. parents and trained parent mentors also supporting and groups running. So um, that's a great resource. for, And you can go in antenatally because our lovely Renee Keogh, um, he's one of the founding NDC educators, um, registered nurse, NICU nurse, lactation mm -hmm. consultant. Um, Renee um, has put together when, ba um, when Baby Comes Home, which complements the work that Calm Birth is doing with your comprehensive antenatal care, which is just so wonderful for families. Um, but we've got this particular little module, just an hour and a half. It's there in PIPS. Um, and it really just kind of goes through the stuff that I've been talking about, but Renee does it so beautifully and in a way that's, you know, really um, clear and accessible for parents. So we've got, got that in there too, which is really good for families, you know, for, for, for um, parents who are expecting yeah, it's look, it's an absolutely wonderful resource and it's something that I, I recommend to, to all the families that I come in contact with because it is, it's it's really about um, creating a village around you, isn't it? And creating that support and having access to people that can give you advice that that will work in that space and, and, and encourage you to, to work and learn your baby as opposed to sort of getting your baby to conform to certain routines that, that are perhaps not part of your, your baby's natural makeup. Um, and so it's really about, I think I said to you earlier, it's about learning your baby and becoming the parent that your baby needs you to be. And so it's, it's really about learning and trusting your instincts. And I, I really think that, that the Possums programs really emphasize that. And, and as you said, you don't subscribe to teaching particular cues because it's so different for every, every mother and every baby. And it's about um, really letting those parents lead as the expert of their own baby. That's it. We, we want to support parents in letting it be easy, yeah. taking a lot of the unnecessary hard work out of it. Um, you know, supporting with really effective help if things are starting to, 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 to feel not quite right. And, um, and really just to grow delight. We just want to, well, our, our motto is growing joy in early life, but we just want to make it as easy as possible through what's inevitably a challenging transition, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, we've got this set of free videos on possumsonline.com um, that are about acceptance and commitment therapy um, after you've had a baby. Mm -hmm. um, so just simple strategies for helping to manage the difficult thoughts and feelings that, you know, are just inevitably a part of such a challenging life mm -hmm. transition. And then if you've got problems emerging, well, doesn't the brain go haywire? You know how it is. <laughs> and that's so normal. You know, we're exhausted. But there are evidence-based, highly effective strategies for just mm -hmm. managing our exhausted brain through the perinatal period. So, Karen, just to let you know, those little videos are up 
freely available on our website too. Yeah, so it's just a a one-stop shop really, isn't it? It's it's not just for parents learning their infant, but it's also about them learning themselves, isn't it? Because it's, as you said, it's a massive change in life and with any change in life comes challenges and and really learning who you are now in this space. Who's the new you that you're you're becoming um, as a parent? And And, you know, if you've got some strategies to deal with that, which is what Cumbert's all about too, it's a really, um, really valuable thing. It, it does, it takes the stress out of it and helps you to enjoy uh, children. I mean, I've got, my children are growing as well. And, and you realise um, when you get to those teenagers and how fast those early years go and how important they are to really enjoy them and nourish them because that doesn't take very long before they, they disappear. That's it, you know, and of course there's whole periods where there's not a lot of enjoyment happening, but how do we manage that um, in a way that means that difficult thoughts and feelings aren't controlling our behaviours, that we're becoming the Mm. parents that we want to be, we're living out our values. You know, most of the time we'll all have wobbly times, but um, and and so there's strategies for that, um, which, you know, um, um, we've sort of um, put into some of these videos that are available with resources that people can go to to to, to get more help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I think we've covered a lot of ground there, I Karen. I think we have, absolutely. <laughs> I think, so maybe to wrap it up, what would be your key advice to, to women and partners who are listening to this um, today to as they're moving into to this space of parenthood and that particularly in those early days what would your be, be your little key snippet of advice that you would give them so <laughs> where do you start specifically <laughs> the early days after the bubby's born yeah i'd be saying as much physical contact with that precious little one yeah as you can do and that contact for yourself with the present moment. Yes. Um, so you'll be, you know, I hope not, but for many of us, we're pretty exhausted once that baby's arrived. We birth, again, I'd hope not, but it often can be um, quite um, an enormous physical experience and psychological mm-hmm. experience. And I'd say, here we are. All you have to do is this minute and just dropping into the present minute and then the next minute and dropping into the present minute. What can I notice? What can I feel? Here's this little one on my skin. What can I feel? Next minute. And and actually, that's how women do it. One minute and then the mm. next and then the next. That's all you need to do, you know, that present moment contact. It's not all that you need to do, but it's, it's like your anchor. It's like your foundation. It's, it is, yeah. Those small achievable goals of just, you know, just being, as, as you said, just being in that moment is, is so important. And I, and I think that's something that is, is we need to change in our culture because I don't think we support women enough to be able to be in that moment. I think they're sort of expected to get on their bikes and off they go and enter the world. And I think really it's about letting them transition into motherhood at their own pace as well. And if they need to nest up a bit longer, nest up a bit longer. If they're ready to enter the world earlier, enter the world earlier. But we need to, we need to be supportive of that. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for talking. I am sure we could go on and talk forever because we're both very, very passionate about all of this. Um, So, but I'd like to thank you for joining us today. And I'm sure that along the track, there'll be more that we can have a chat about. But if anyone is interested in finding out more about um, Pamela's work and, and what they do at Possums, you just need to go to, to Possums online um, and have a look at their wonderful website. It's full of resources and, and full of um, ways that you can contact people to provide support. Um, so I recommend that you definitely go there. I'll pop a link um, at the end of the podcast. All right. So thank you once again, Pam. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure.